Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. What does the future hold for St. Louis and how do we get there? This is Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Welcome in. Michael and Travis are with you, back with you after the holidays, after football, so much football, even some Sundays with Billiken basketball on KMOX. Travis, we're back with Nothing Impossible. It's uh, it, it's weird to say Happy New Year this late into the year, but Happy New Year, and it's good to be back, and it's good to uh, talk about the things that people think could be impossible. We know that nothing is really impossible. Oh, yeah, there's so much innovation-wise that's happening around the St. Louis area, and There's also a lot that's happening around the world, and if you've been tracking a lot of the headlines, you know what's been happening in Ukraine. But really, Travis, how do we know what's happening in Ukraine? How how do we know when they say uh, that they're amassing troops and that these maneuvers are happening? How do we know about that? Here is one major source. This is the New York Times. says that satellite images that were taken on Wednesday and Thursday are showing new deployment and positioning of Russian military equipment and troops in multiple locations around Ukraine, including Crimea, Western Russia, and Belarus, adding to the already ominous buildup that we've heard so much about that's fueling invasion fears. The new imagery, released by space technology company Maxar Technologies, remember that, Maxar Technologies, is showing new or additional uh, deployments in three locations in Crimea, which is that Black Sea Peninsula that Russia seized from Ukraine in 2014, including troops, vehicles, other equipment near the western coast, more than 550 new tents for troops and hundreds of vehicles at a disused airfield. How do we know all that? Well, as I scroll through the story, we see those images from Maxar Technologies, these satellite images. Yeah, you know, we've we've spent a lot of time on our show, you know, uh, I guess trying to take the technology and the science and and whatnot, the innovation behind geospatial and the and the NGA, and and communicate it and and uh, relate it to our everyday lives, right? We talk about using Google Maps or uh, or autonomous vehicles, but we have to also remember this. A lot of this technology is first related to defense, right? And 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 national security, and this is a perfect example of that. Uh, you know, satellite imagery that shows uh, the movement of the Russian military. The involvement of Maxar in this told you to remember that. If you go to KMOX.com, October 9th, 2019, the news story says there's another large geospatial company planning to plant roots downtown. 
Maxar Technologies, based in Colorado, crunches satellite imagery data. They just renewed their contract with the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, opening an office in the Globe Building on Tucker, downtown. It's right off Washington Avenue. It's near the Post-Dispatch building that's now home to Square. The plan then was about 50 workers. Other technology companies in this field also opening down there. And this is part of the push by NGA, first with Robert Cardillo, now with Vice Admiral Robert Sharp, to contract more with the private sector. Maybe we as the government don't launch a satellite, but we've got lots of private companies that are doing that. We'll contract with them and take advantage of them. And since NGA is headquartering in St. Louis, that means that a lot of those companies that work with them are locating here. Well, and it also allows for innovation to happen faster, right? I mean, we, I think we, we all know that the private sector, because it, it doesn't have the, the bureaucracy of the public sector, the private sector can can possibly innovate faster. And then what the public sector, what the government can do is go in and say, you know what, thanks for uh, vetting this. Thanks for de-risking it. Thanks for getting it down the development pipeline. We're ready to use it now. I think it's a great uh, example of public-private you know, innovation coming together. And this is a really timely example of how this technology, really the classic uh, example of how it's used. Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess it's not just for autonomous vehicles and uh, location awareness on our phones, right? It's uh, where are troops being moved around the world. And so that's what's happening with Ukraine, thanks to Maxar Technologies for working with NGA and releasing these images to the public so we know what's happening. Well, coming up, we're going to tell you about a stalwart St. Louis company that's changing its name, Travis. We'll find out how they made the decision. How did they decide what the new name would be. <laughs> Stick around. We have more about that. We will talk about this technology company with a new brand right after this. St. Louis Innovation with Michael and Travis. Nothing impossible on KMOX. Well, as we continue, let's get into the name change and the pivot for a, a big St. Louis startup. It's one of the OGs of the St. Louis startup scene. We've been talking about them since the beginning here on the show, Travis. Yeah, we... Uh... Man, I, I would I would imagine we could check the tape, as they say, but Gabe Lozano and the team at Locker Dome was probably on one of our first episodes back 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 in the day. Uh, Locker Dome was one of the early, probably circa 2010, maybe 2012, St. Louis startups uh, that uh, really came onto the scene quickly, started hiring, started growing into their own space in downtown St. Louis. Uh, they've since expanded a bit more outside of the St. Louis area, and now they've decided to rebrand the company. Here's Ryan Allen, the president of the company. So for those who followed Locker Dome, maybe they organized a youth league there in 2009. Then maybe they used it uh, for the ad products like polls. I can remember that pivot. And then what, what's the latest with Locker Dome and what's the new name? Definitely. Yeah, actually, uh I'm, uh, I, I go way back with Locker Dome as well. I actually started there in 2013 as an intern on the community management side. So I've seen this natural progression from sports social media platform to interest-based social media platform all the way to a, an offering uh, that, that really powers um, an advertising marketplace. Our key focus now and, and really the shift from Locker Dome into uh, Decide Technologies is really just to, to better reflect our core offering and, and really just to capture the scope of our ambitions. And, and what we're trying to accomplish is powering the next era of advertising on the open web 
and doing that with machine learning and more broadly automated decision making. And, and the focus for that is really allowing advertisers to maximize their media spends by targeting endpoints deeper than a, in the funnel than a click. So whether you're an auto insurance lead generation advertiser looking for people to sign up, um, we want to be able to pinpoint decisions within ad targeting uh, that can drive success and drive qualified leads at an effective cost. And at the flip side of that, we also work with 2,000 active domains across about 10,000 active placements that are all looking for uh, technology that can provide uh, targeted advertisements to their users and generate premium yield in a very competitive space. And so that's really the focus of what we're trying to accomplish um, at Decide and, and really the, uh, the evolution from LockerDome uh, to this, this uh, machine learning decision-making platform that is Decide Technologies. Decide Technologies, Inc., Travis. Yeah, well, that's, that's, quite, <laughs> that's quite the pivot, as, as we say in, in the startup community. Uh, that's a lot of uh, different twists and turns, but it does make sense for them, uh, for a company to focus on, you know, not just ad technology, but making advertising better. I mean, I think that that's something that we've seen evolve over the years, over the decades on the internet from web 1.0 to 2.0 to now web three uh, ads are getting, you know, the, with the uh, inclusion of AI and machine learning ads should be better. How does the moment and, and the marketplace now uh, and the atmosphere uh, on the internet right now play into this with people in more interested in privacy, more ad blockers saying no to cookies saying no, you know, when the iPhone asks you to track outside the app, how does that play into a need for something to replace that. Absolutely. There's, there's so much happening. Uh, and, and really with the introduction of Decide, we also formally announced uh, a, a piece of our new product, which we're calling the Decision Marketplace. And that's really aimed at tackling uh, and navigating these shifts that are happening within the digital advertising market. So one of them that you mentioned was just this deprecation of third-party cookies. And we actually uh, removed that feature from our targeting and removed that technology from our targeting in November of 2021. And the fact of the matter is, is people just want uh, to, to feel secure whenever they're, they're uh, browsing the web. And what we're trying to do is have responsible data sets that are compliant and friendly and non-intrusive to the user, but it still be able to provide relevant ad experiences that generate ROI for advertisers, but also uh, effective yield for the publishers. And so what you're seeing in the market today is a lot of our competitors are actually holding on to what's once, which once was the old ways of digital advertising and having these extremely intrusive data sets that follow you, on, follow you around for you know, an extended amount of time. Uh, but that actually you know, uh, ha have a lot of your personal information out there. And so what we're really focused on is how do we take responsible data sets that people are willingly providing uh, that are compliant with the new rules of the web, but also be effective for our advertising partners and for our publishing partners so they can continue to run their business. You know, it's, I, I know that when I, if I look at a pair of shoes online, let's say Adidas, if you will, uh, that pair of shoes seems to follow me uh, for at least two or three weeks 
in shows up in some random places and and I uh, I truly don't understand it but it does feel a bit intrusive. Yeah, it's uncanny. You're like, "All right, where where did I even make that t- you know, search or whatever to begin with so that you can just kind of try to track how they figured that out and how they got that a, a hold of that and then send it all through the internet." Um, he talks a lot about machine learning and artificial intelligence and they're announcing a new marketplace. How does that all come together? So, what we're focused on doing is we're focused on providing a relevant ad experience for the end user that effectively uh, brings the right advertiser to the right publication, to the right user at the right time. And so what we want to do is when you're reading content, whatever it is, whatever publication you're on, we can provide you with an ad experience that's effective, that is um, that is non-intrusive, and that can allow publishers to go out and make great content because that's what they want to do. Well, you know, today's, uh, today's episode of Nothing Impossible is airing against probably one of the biggest advertising days of the year as well, which are Super Bowl ads, right? And, uh, you know, those ads aren't intrusive, but they do get a lot of chatter online. It's, it'll be interesting to see how Decide uh, really helps raise the bar when it comes to, ethic. I would call it, ethical advertising and making that advertising relevant to uh, to all the parties. And it's going to be of high interest, too, because companies are trying to figure out everybody's hitting no when the iPhone says, do you want to do you want us to track what you do on all the other apps as well? And, and how do you respond to that? How do you pivot from that? And so if Decide's got the technology that can set the standard for how we move on from that, that, that could be huge for St. Louis. And to help with the development of that, Travis, they're opening an office in Austin, Texas. So... I asked Ryan Allen, the president of what's now Decide Technologies, Inc., formerly Locker Dome, what, what is it that's in Austin? Why Austin? How did you decide this? Yeah, absolutely. So Locker Dome's had a very, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Decide Technologies has had a, uh, a extremely uh, strong growth year. Uh, comparing 2021 to 2020, we achieved about 30% year-over-year growth. Uh, and a lot of that has been the shift in how people are working and a lot of the impacts that were brought on by the pandemic. We've seen just such this transfer of how people want to interact with coworkers going from us fully being in the office to fully remote. And now we started to think a lot about what the future of our work environment looks like. And really what we want to look at office spaces as is a place where people can come together and build community and play and interact and and build that team camaraderie. But if they're comfortable being at home and uh, working from you know their the, their home office, we also want to provide them an environment to do that. Right. So, what a lot of what's that's happening in Austin is that that's becoming a huge growth area for our industry. There's extremely talented people within uh, not only the digital advertising world but the broader technology industry. And we want to be out in front of that. And so a lot of our focus for opening up the Austin office is to get in where the action's at uh, and allow us to build a presence in that community, an office space where we can attract really top talent. At the same time, we're still extremely committed to the St. Louis area. Uh, we have uh, a, lot, a rather large office space uh, down on Washington Avenue, which, which is where I'm calling from today. And uh, we have people coming in here that feel, uh, you know, that that feel comfortable doing so with all of the uh, with all the things going on out there, uh, because 
they want to come in here. They want to have that community. They want to have that teamwork. Uh, and they want to have a place where they can focus on their jobs and produce, you know, uh, produce at their highest quality. Well, with offices in Austin and St. Louis, it seems like they are tremendously growing. Uh, I think last I heard, I believe that Gabe Lozano, who is the founder, one of the founders and CEO of Now Decide Technologies, is located down in the Austin office. And so it sounds like uh, he might be heading that up and Ryan as president heading up the, the St. Louis office. Yeah, Gabe, I think, has been enjoying some of the – they've got a beautiful waterfront, and people love to go out and kayak there. Uh, <laughs> they've got a lot of outdoor activities in Austin. But where, where does this leave St. Louis, Ryan Allen? So, you know, St. Louisans will wonder, is it still – is it St. Louis-based? Decide – is it uh, Austin-based, or are you baseless? Um, we, that's a great question. I, I, I look at – I look at Decide as a St. Louis first uh, first company, but really our, our focus with the with the Austin office is is really a blueprint that we want to go out and replicate across across the country and and ultimately the world. Right, is get out in front of different uh, environments, different locations, build cool offices, have entertainment spaces, build a community, get involved with communities uh, and, and attract great talent. Right. And so there's a lot of great talent here in the St. Louis area. We're continuing to hire people from the St. Louis area. Um, and, and St. Louis is something that we're still very committed to. So no reason for concern, maybe bringing a little bit of St. Louis to Austin might happen with this. Well, that's a, that would be a good thing. I mean, uh, there's, I think, you know, I, I think one of the challenges we have in St. Louis, Michael, is that we get so f- so nervous when a company establishes some level of presence that we, you know, we, we, we fear that the writing is on the wall and that they're going to leave us, you know, it's a really bad like relationship analogy. When in reality, this, this really represents growth and we, we should have, I mean, we heard from Ryan there, they're a St. Louis first company. Uh, and this does represent an opportunity for them to grow. And, and that growth will have a positive impact on St. Louis, regardless of where it's happened. Yeah, if you silo yourself and say, we're only in St. Louis, we're not going to look outside, we're not going to consider outside, nobody from outside, you're, you're cu- shutting off so many different opportunities. Maybe that's been an issue in St. Louis in the past, but in this new economy, there's an in, there's an out, and you can be here, you can be there, you can take advantage of some of the ideas and the enthusiasm in other places and have it help the main mission, which can be here. And really, I think a lot of that has come out of COVID and the decentralization um, of the workforce, which we've heard a little bit about, we've heard more about. Uh, and this tees up a question about the future. What's next for Decide? What's next? Is it a hiring spree? Is there a, a new product that's on the, the horizon? Um, any kind of an exit? Uh, anything that's up next? Yeah, the biggest thing for us is continuing to, to stay hard at work. Uh, we've had really explosive growth over the past year, but our ambitions are much higher than where we're at today. And this is an industry where a lot of people are trying to figure out really hard problems. And the goal with us rebranding as Decide, us introducing the decision marketplace, is really to focus on how can we use technology, machine learning, a decision-making platform to, to really deliver real-world results, right? And so what you'll see from us is, you know, uh, rebranding ourselves, getting more involved, getting more vocal uh, in our industry, and really using that as a way to propel growth, bring in great talent, uh, and and focus on becoming a much bigger company than we are today. Well, it, you know, it, 
it seemed as if Locker Dome now decide had gone quiet for a while. Michael, you and I would always wonder what was happening. What's the new? What's new? What's next with uh, with with what Gabe had started years and years ago? Uh, there we have it. They are they're still heads down, uh, working harder than ever. It sounds like and poised for growth. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They they maybe they've been quiet, but it sounds like they've been really heads down on this and they have a reputation for that can you recall years and years ago uh on their old space on washington avenue along the street front um there was a whole section that they called locker dorms because they had coders who would just sleep there for days on end because projects had to get done and had to be done perfectly yeah i mean it's it i would imagine uh again maybe a lot of the external forces like covid and whatnot have have changed some of the dynamics uh and now you can you could be hard at work, and then if you do need that locker dorm or that decide dorm space, it might be your own bedroom where you go crash for a bit and then get up and code code away some more. Here's a little bit more on the new space in Austin. The first floor will just be complete entertainment space, so we're putting in almost like a bar area uh, for hosting, and then on the top floor we're going to have um, we're going to have. Uh, just offices, workspaces, and really, like I said, the key there and how we're thinking about and how we're thinking about the, the workspace now is creating environments where people can come together. And if they want to do some work while they're there, great. But if if they want to go home and do that work, all the better. And so, really, just making it people first, almost like work second in the in the the office space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. And, and, and so that's, that's the approach on that front. So really entertainment focused where we can come in, do cool events, get involved with communities, that sort of thing. Well, if people are doing a lot of their work at home, the, the big question is why go to the office? Maybe it is to connect with your coworkers and your colleagues uh, because we've, we've all mastered the work from home life, but there is still the need to, to connect with people outside of Slack or Teams or, uh, or anything like that. There's a, the human interaction that they could have. You know, right now, Gabe and a lot of our data science team and our machine learning teams, they're so focused on these problems where they're just heads down in code for extended amounts of time, right? Sometimes it's good for you to just go into a hole and there's no better hole than your house, right? So, you know, I, I, and I think it's really interesting and um, we, we've been kind of bouncing around this idea. We've been talking a little bit more vocally now about the Austin office and you, you don't hear a lot of people, you know, actually doing build outs like we're doing in Austin, right? Like I still think uh, you'll have a lot of, you'll have a lot of people moving into the co-working spaces. Uh, but I think what's cool about what Decide is doing is we're really investing in that space. Like we invested in our space here and me, it's, I have a better work setup here than I do at home, right? And I feel very comfortable here. Uh, and so uh, having a place that's our own, that really has our culture and our feel to it, I think is a, is a, will be a really powerful selling point for building and having culture continue to be a strong proponent of, like, of a company in a very virtual, almost first world where most, you know, most of the time our people will be working from their houses. Uh, and I think one of the things that, that uh, companies that will have to overcome is that idea of how do you keep culture strong in, in a very virtual first world. And I think one way that you can do that is with investing in the office space, but understanding that 
you know, they're going to be used for different purposes. Well, we need to take a road trip down to Austin, maybe uh, record the show live from the side's uh, southern headquarters. (laughs) Yeah, you know, that's a, um, I think both of us, you're at home, right, Travis? I am, yes. I'm I'm in the home office as well right now. And there is that, like, dynamic where if it's like a breaking news story, there's a lot going on. Um, you know, you got to be in the newsroom. You're shouting across the room at each other, sharing information. The phone's ringing. The web person's over there. Uh, the reporter's running out the door. Um, but then in other situations, like if you're working on a in-depth investigative or series project or recording a weekend innovation show, sometimes it's nice to be at home. You've got the familiar surroundings. You can relax a little bit and focus a little bit more. I you know I th- I really think that companies are are understanding this is going to be the, the quote unquote new normal in the go forward and that is this opportunity for flexibility. Uh, I mean the, I think the good news is you have uh, you know different generations moving into executive and management positions whether they're Gen Xers or millennials moving into management who have uh, wanted this work life balance for the entire time and now given both the pandemic and you know, generational leadership change, maybe that will be the norm going forward. Well, if we talk about taking a trip down to Austin to see Gabe and the crew at Now Decide, I may I may have a slip up and call it Locker Dome too, just because of the, you know, it's so long established. But if we do decide to go down there, maybe it's a road trip or maybe we go to Lambert Airport. What a nice, con- what a nice segue to our next segment where we get to check in with Rhonda. Big things happening Big, big things happening as the airport plans for its future. Uh, let's dig into that next, Michael. Stay tuned. Nothing Impossible, KMOX. Now back to Nothing Impossible on the Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible. Travis Sheridan, Michael Calhoun. All innovation all the time. Let's keep it going, Michael. Now, you're not familiar with the airport, so we might have to take it a little slow <laughs> for Travis. When it comes to air travel, he's just not up on, on how it works. I was just there this week, going back next week. I think I'm traveling every week in February and a bunch in March. But uh, I, 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 maybe I'm in the minority. I actually really love Lambert. Like, it's easy. I get in and out. Parking is simple. I love it. I think Rhonda, uh, who runs the operation there, is doing great. Rhonda Hamnabriggi, the airport director at Lambert St. Louis International Airport, gave an update to the airport commission this past week. As you know, we're getting a nonstop flight to Frankfurt, Germany, and June is fast approaching with Lufthansa. We have had the Lufthansa representatives in now uh, twice. Uh, They were here with us about three weeks ago. Uh, A a team was in yesterday as well. The station manager who covers the operation in Chicago, Isabella, will also cover the operation in St. Louis. She's been with Lufthansa, I, I believe she told me, close to 20 years now. So she's very familiar with operations. Uh, So they've been coming in looking at the gate operations and the ticket counter. Uh, I would expect that we'll have a decision next week where they will operate in terms of both the ticket counter and the gate operations. Obviously their arrival will have to come into Terminal 2 as Terminal 2 is where the current international arrival is uh, in the FIS. So we know they'll arrive in Terminal 2 uh, there's uh, for them uh, looking at both. Uh, they have a wish list in Terminal One. They have a wish list in Terminal Two. Uh, so we'll see where they end up. But we should have an announcement, I would think, in the next week to ten days at the latest, 
um, where they will be operating, and then we'll put that out. So that's part of the situation with the airport now, which we'll hear a little bit more about in a few minutes. But the situation with the scattered and older, frankly, facilities, uh, Lufthansa is looking at having to arrive at Terminal 2 and let all the passengers off. That's where the international arrival facilities are. But then they may have to pull the plane out and move it down halfway down the airport and go down to T1 because that's where their ticket counter and where their loading of passengers may be. That uh, sounds incredibly inefficient. <laughs> and if they do go into T2, if they do everything from T2, uh, is in the same alliance as United. Let's say you're connecting to another United flight. You would have to, if they go into T2, you'd have to leave security and then clear security again in T1, I believe. I mean, there's, of course, there, there is a solution to all of this, but, you know, also, so often we, we bemoan the fact that there aren't more international flights in and out of, of the, of St. Louis. This Lufthansa, this Lufthansa flight is going to be very critical to really kickstart a return to that, but there's also the infrastructure necessary, right? This is there's infrastructure necessary within the airport operation to make this attractive and actually work for international carriers. And when it comes to Lufthansa and Frankfurt, that's like flying Delta in, into Atlanta for Germany. It's the largest airline flying into the largest airport in the middle of continental Europe too. So for the St. Louis companies that aren't even just in Germany, if you're AB InBev. It may be easier. If you want to hop on a train in Europe, that's possible. A lot of people had wanted London, but uh, the word is that Frankfurt may be a lot more convenient. Yeah, the ability to get into Central Europe uh, and then hop on a train and really go anywhere, I think, is incredibly appealing. Uh, and I think it will be incredibly appealing to to business travelers and, you know, the recreational vacation traveler who wants to, you know, bum around Europe for a bit. Mm-hmm. So how are the ticket sales? I did have a nice conversation with Don, who was in the sales team yesterday, who was also in. And they're very encouraged by the bookings that they're seeing. Uh, they're very happy with those. And he said, uh, compared to some other U.S. markets, actually slightly ahead. So uh, a huge shout out to anyone who has uh, already booked and supported that flight. One of the things that's going to be critically important for us as we move forward is that, you know, uh, Airlines are in the business of making money, so the the flight needs to, to be profitable for them. But very pleased on what they see. Have you bought a ticket, Travis? I have not bought a ticket yet. Uh, I, I am going to Europe this summer, but have not decided, not, not Central Europe yet. Well, have you tried to get a coffee at Lambert? I have. I've gotten a coffee at Lambert a few times. We also um, have reopened the Starbucks pre-security in Terminal 1. Uh, anytime you walk past it, there's a line, so it's been a, it's been very nice. Also, the uh, pasta house has reopened pre-security in Terminal One, so that's been a nice. They had uh, pared down the menu just a little bit because it was a full menu with lots and lots of options, but that's been pared down. But it's open as well. And then we also opened the pizza studio on the A concourse. So that just leaves us a couple of the restaurant locations that have not reopened. We still have the California Pizza Kitchen in Terminal 2. Uh, we have the Tapenade on the Sea Concourse hasn't hasn't fully reopened. But otherwise, I think pretty uh, – and the Beer Biscuits and Barbecue. Right, Beer Biscuits and Barbecue. And California Pizza Kitchen is beginning their process for reopening. Okay. 
and Rob uh, said that the California Pizza Kitchen should open here shortly. So uh, we're in pretty good shape with the restaurants being able to finally get staffed back up and open and a welcome site to see all of those. And same with uh, the concessionaires on the retail front, um, where they're pretty well 100% open, maybe one store here or there. But in, in traveling last week uh, to a number of different locations in order to get home, I can tell you I saw a lot of closed restaurants uh, throughout different times of the day in the four, five different cities I traversed through. We've heard so much in greater society and the economy about the staff shortages. Things are getting better at Lambert, although I'm disappointed to hear that beer, biscuits, and barbecue isn't back open. That was my favorite stopover in T2. <laughs> I, uh, you know, when I was there last week, I, couldn't, it, I actually noticed that the Eddie Bauer shop uh, had closed down one of the retail uh, shops in the uh, in the sea concourse when I was flying American, uh, and it made me wonder about uh, the return of retail to uh, to these airports. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is food and beverage, right? The ability to uh, have, grab a snack in between flights is really critical to the overall airport experience. Sure, you would be nice to get a new puffy jacket or fl a plaid shirt, but I think more important thing is being able to get a beer and a uh, slice of pizza. And then the last thing from Rhonda Hamnabregi, the Lambert Airport director, is about that every 10 years terminal layout master plan that has to be filed with the FAA and the public, the airlines. A lot of people seem to be on board with the idea of a single terminal that would simply just it would get rid of T2 and concourses A, B, C, D, and E and all of these different security, three or four different security entrances and just make Terminal 1, the entrance, kind of like Denver's Grand Hall, the entrance to the airport. There'd be one concourse with every airline on it. Here's what she told commissioners about the latest on that. This is a process. This is not something that is a, a clear uh, cut deal or done or certainly something that we're breaking ground on next week or next year. But uh, we tried to explain that this is a process. And, and while it is a process that every airport has to go through uh, every decade or so, we do think this is one that... Uh, it's time to start thinking about it more aggressively than just putting it on a shelf. And so I'm not sure if uh, any of you had calls or had feedback, but certainly I think the feedback that we got uh, here at the airport and that I got from a lot of different people in the community uh, is, uh, is of interest and certainly want to talk about it and think about it. You know, there will have to be some public meetings in the next couple of months before we present our plan to the FAA. Again, the, the plan that gets presented to the FAA does not mean it is a done deal. It simply means that the FAA signs off on our master plan. Uh, whether we implement changes as we move forward, uh, that's not what this is about. This is about them signing off on an approved master plan that we've done all of the analysis and they believe that it's a, it's a plan that uh, meets their needs and their goals. So, um, a lot to happen, I think, in the next few months over that. I like this idea of creating a more efficient uh, airport experience. You know, as, as Rhonda was sharing all that, it just really made me uh, think back to, what was it, probably two years ago or so when, uh, maybe two and a half to three years ago, when the whole discussion about privatizing the airport was coming up. Um, and, and, you know, I just don't know. If we would have been, if we would have this level of momentum or buy-in, if it was run by a private entity and it was out, it was out of the hands of, of you know, being a public part of a public uh, institution, uh, you know, it, it just really 
I know that there was it was a little bit short sighted. We were trying to do it because the city needed some money, and you know, good, bad, or indifferent. We got money due to uh, the Recovery Act and of settlement with the NFL, so maybe that helped close the budget gap. But this idea of consolidating the airport into a single terminal seems like a very smart private sector decision that's being, because uh, it seems like it would be good for business, uh, but it's being done still under the umbrella of being a public entity. Lots of other cities. Kansas City is doing it. New Orleans has just done it. Other cities as well. Uh, and then it would also provide more opportunity. I mean, first of all, we mentioned about all the inefficiencies um, and the behind-the-scenes issues. Uh, you know, the Terminal 1 and those concourses were built for an Ozark airline hub, <laughs> pre-TWA. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. Coming up next, we say goodbye to a leader of Arch Grants. Stick around for more Nothing Impossible right after this. St. Louis Innovation with Michael and Travis. Nothing Impossible on KMOX. All right, welcome back. Wow, end of an era. Emily Loge Bush has been at the helm of Arch Grants for probably five to seven years now, and uh, she is stepping down as executive director. Emily Lowe's Bush spent five years at the top of the not-for-profit, which awards non-equity grants to startups in exchange for moving to the city. I feel like in a lot of ways when I started, it was kind of a, it was a make it or break it time for the organization in the sense that I think the question on many people's minds was, is this really going to stand the test of time or is this something that we piloted that was kind of cool. Since taking over, she's raised enough money to fund a record number of companies each year and even do follow-up grants for the most successful ones. Arch Grants Portfolio now includes 207 startups that have created 2,300 local jobs and generated $479 million in revenue. Lowe's Bush plans to become an entrepreneur herself and start a consulting firm. To be fair, I did start a small business about 12 years ago. 15 years ago, so I've, I've, I've dabbled before. Her last day with Arch Grants is February 28th. Michael Calhoun, KMOX News. Talk about end of an era. I mean, I said it before and I'll say it again. It, Emily has done so much uh, through her leadership at Arch Grants. Well, and they've just announced, for instance, that they're increasing from $50,000 to $75,000. Startups from outside the area get an additional $25,000. They've got these follow-on growth grants for companies that are doing well and need even further funding. Um, Just the scope of Arch Grants has accelerated under Emily Lowe's Bush's leadership. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we started early in the conversation today talking about the pivots that Locker Dome has made to becoming the side. Uh, Arch Grants has pivoted quite a bit uh, to be a much more robust program than it started off being. Her last day with Arch Grants is February 28th. We wish her luck. And thank you for joining us for this edition of Nothing Impossible. Check out the podcast and uh, tune in next week. We'll be back. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.